Howdy gamers, it's Leighton here from Leighton Night, the podcast that you're currently listening to in case you accidentally stumbled upon this, in which case I am sorry, but just wanted to let you know that there is a video version of this episode that is up on our Patreon for all tiers. So if you want to join us over there, depending on the tier, you can get all sorts of cool benefits. We do mini-sodes every week. We do some fun videos. Uh, you get access to our fan discord and overall it's a really lovely time and we would love to have you there. So without any further ado, here is the audio version of this episode. So if you want to do the video version, you can go to patreon.com slash late night or not it's really whatever floats your boat. Anyway, episode. Dude, there are like 14 apps or whatever in the creative cloud. And I understand Acrobat Reader, mm. some functionality of actual Acrobat, this much Photoshop, like this much Photoshop, and even less Premiere. So it's like, what am I doing with this shit? After Effects? <laughs> I know After Effects is very important and people use it, but it's like, I feel like if I opened it, I would be scared. It is. I've never successfully done anything, but I've done YouTube myself and I don't have to do it myself anymore, which is lucky because it's way better when a professional does it. Oh, yes, it is. But I have all these friends who are like, just teach yourself. There's all these free tutorials and great stuff. And like when I do that, it doesn't look like when some of my friends do that. <laughs> they look at five, you know half an hour of tutorials and they're like, yeah, I can put like Michael Bay explosions and whatever I want. And it looks cool. Yeah. Just follow the tutorial. Something doesn't connect for me. I know. Layton, what's your experience with it? I mean, you're like a Photoshop expert, right? <laughs> well, you know what you're doing. That's funny, Brian. You know what you're doing more than I do, certainly. I've been using Photoshop since I was like 13. I would yeah. say that I still know the same amount, the, the little pinch that you showed earlier for our audio listeners. But you can look at like brush tools and not be like, what? Yeah, I mean, the brushes are easy. It's like everything else. I don't know. I feel like with the <laughs> Adobe suite of stuff, there is the same vocabulary across them yes. where once you get the bit of a new program, you're like, oh, this is the corollary to all these different things in Photoshop. But then you also don't know specifics. And if you're in a rush, you're like, okay, I got to open up Premiere or whatever so I can slap this specific thing together. The doing the YouTube tutorial stuff, it, it's less fun than if you're just like doing a fun project and you want to learn how to do something when it's, I have to do this specific thing, get to the fucking point in the tutorial where you tell me how to do it yes. and then everything breaks and then it's yeah. just like, why do I pay money for this? Well, and also the version they're using is, you know, four years out of date. And yeah. so it's yeah. not quite the version you're using and the key commands are a little different and also they're on a PC and you're on a Mac. My favorite is when they open it and they're like, I have all these custom key binds. Um, so you're going to have to look <laughs> up what, but on my setup with all these custom things I've invented, just do this. Yeah. Guys, remember when you could just own a piece of software? Like you just pay for it once and you own it. I mean, when did that fully change over? Like 10 years ago-ish, I think. But for a while, I was like, are you fucking with me? Like, Adobe, I have to pay what per year? Yeah. It's like $600 a year is the full price or something. I thought it was a joke at first. Like, I had misread it. And I understand the constant updating and blah, 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 blah. Like, there are actual reasons behind it. But 
oh my fucking God, it sucks. There weren't compatibility issues that come up with like windows changing or right. drivers or whatever. I used creative suite four, one of the last ones where you bought it and you owned it. Yep. I used that until 2018 or something <laughs> until it literally wouldn't run on my computer. And this, yeah, shit. Like this is the only thing I liked. And now I have to pay the subscriptions. Ridiculous. Do you guys get the emails? I get these all the time from, I have a basically an audio interface for my computer, which is universal audio. And I constantly get these emails, which are like, under no circumstances, update your system. Like, <laughs> if you update your system, we cannot guarantee that anything will work. And now I'm like, very scared. Every time there's a big software update, I'm like, well, okay, let's hope for the best. I kind of want to resurrect a segment that we haven't done in a while. Oh, I'm curious, what's the most annoying spam email that you get? Hark, fellow travelers, and welcome to the bit known as Spamalot. Oh, I have a very direct answer to this, and it's not quite spam, but it's the real ID emails from the state of California. Oh, yeah. Like, I got my real ID, and I still get these emails. It's like four or five a week. I'm like, guys, like, I understand that in 12 years, I won't be able to fly with this, that, like my other ID, but <laughs> why are we pushing so hard on this? I just don't understand it. That's the number one for me. Also, I get a lot from Vivint Home Security. Oh, yeah. They love to send out. Right? Constant contact or something like that. I don't use them. I assume it's just spamming, but yeah, those are the two that occur to me. I'm actually really diligent. I might be the only person in the world where I think my inbox right now says like, 21 unread and all wow. of those are something where i have to respond or i'm like i'll leave this unread so i remember because i have to do this next month or something but i don't have like thirty thousand unread emails i check and i clear and if i get a spam i'm like unsubscribe and if it's not an email i use the google feature but there are some websites and it's more than one that i have where you can't unsubscribe from that email right or you don't get the value of the service. Oh, or the, oh. It's like, for me, I stream video games as my main gig. Like five days yeah, yeah. a week, I'm live gaming. So I'm on all these sites where it's like, try and work with developers to get keys for giveaways or for reviews or whatever. And a lot of those sites, it, the rule is you have to have our emails turned on because we're going to constantly email you every day. Really? And if you turn them off, we're not ever going to offer you anything. <gasps> Oof. Oh, wow. So you're trapped. I don't want to know about every single thing, little tiny indie game on their site that doesn't appeal to me, but I want to know about some of the stuff. Once every <laughs> yeah. couple months, I'll be like, yes, cool, and want something from them. They trap you, and I can't do anything, but just every day I'm like, Marcus Red, Marcus Red. Oh, my God. <laughs> God. I think I ordered, like, one Harry and David gift basket for oh, a friend yeah. maybe two years ago, and I had to go on, like, a big unzip. Did you get some pears? You get a big thing of pears. I okay. So what's the deal with Harry and David pears? They're always pushing the fucking pears I on don't, you. I don't understand it. It's like I can get pears anywhere, guys. Why would I order fancy pears? Pears infamously get banged up. Why would I get them shipped? Yes, they have chosen one of the top three most bruisable fruits <laughs> to ship, which is why they have to package the hell out of it. I guess, but it's yeah. like I like a pear. I'll eat a pear. Pears are yummy. Yeah, I don't know. I paused in the middle of yummy in the middle like that. But uh, yummy. Uh, I, I like a pair. I like a pair a lot. But the thing is going to get fucked up in transit. 
if you've ever put a pair in a backpack, you know, you're just <laughs> in hell. What is up with it? And then also, I was looking at the Harry and David website recently for, you know, like gift basket reasons. All of their baskets have terrible reviews. Really? On their own website. They're all like middling. I feel like it's some company. It used to be really great. I don't know that this actually happened. I'm just assuming this is the case. <laughs> some private equity firm bought it and is keeping it alive as like a legacy brand because they can still squeeze some money out of it. And it just sort of sucks now. Also, they wrap the bruisable fruit in like annoying gold foil. Yeah. yeah. Just like, thank you. This is useless to me. I had not heard of this until now, but I'm looking and the gold foil is a weird move. You know, they're nice. They're nice gifts, but it also, you know, what's great about it? That's what I want to know. What's great about Harry and David? The appeal is kind of lost on me. Yeah, well, pears are so hit and miss. I feel like I like pears a lot. There's varieties and they all have their own sort of subtleties, but yes, even perfectly shipped and placed pears at a nice grocery store. You got to look because, like you said, they get dinged up for no reason. You don't just buy any of them. You want to pick the couple good ones if you want a decent pair. No, that's right. It is an odd thing to just ship. Like charcuterie boards don't do well in the mail. No. I've gotten a, a charcuterie board thing for like a special occasion, and it came, and it was like a fucking tornado. <laughs> we made the charcuterie board. They just sent us the assorted parts. I can't imagine they're any good. No. My favorite thing with a pair, tell me if you guys do this is you take the pear, it's like a real, you know, it's like just ripe enough, and you grab the stem with your teeth and you pop it out of the pear. You just go, and it just like <laughs> What the fuck are you right talking about? <laughs> no, 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 it's great. That's when you know you got a good pear. You grab the stem with your teeth and you just pop it out, and then you've got the pear tip, and you just, you can bite the tip off the pear. That's how you eat a pear. You monster, what? What are you talking about? That's a perfectly fine way to eat a pear. The stem just pops out. It's one of the few fruit where if you pull the stem out and the thing is ripe, it just goes, it just pops. You've never done this. Other than my really strong aversion to doing anything with my teeth that should be done with a tool or your hands. That's smart. Uh, yeah. Biting the top of the pear as like a satisfying proof of how ripe it is. That is a good move. I've never done that. Yeah. Pears are one of the only fruits where it has a core, but if it's really ripe, the core is like one strand of fiber yes, and you exactly. get down and you're like, sweet. Hell yeah. What's your desired pear softness it's got to be like a little soft if it's too soft and it's too juicy it's just irritating to eat like you're trying to eat it and it's getting everywhere like if you have a really ripe pear it's just upsetting see but that's how i want it i want a real juiced really? up pear because wow. if i'm eating it i want to eat it over my sink yeah like a mango i'm not chopping up a mango fuck that oh, i'm gonna I take am. the skin off and i am going to eat that thing and gnaw on the core like a little rat over my sink as the mango juice drips down my arm that's the yep. intended experience pears are similar for me can I tell you my mango hack, which I learned, I don't know, by reading about it? This changed my mango life. That it makes you higher if you smoke weed? <laughs> does it really? Yes, we discussed this on the weedening episode. It truly does. Well, Something about the I was terpenes. probably high. <laughs> Here's what you do. You, so you take the mango and you slice, you know, on either side of the big mango pit. This is the classic fruit podcast content that our listeners crave. So you, you get a slice of the mango. So you get the skin over here and then like a slice through it. And here's what you do. Get a big glass, like a pint glass or something. And then you slip basically the pint glass into the meat of the mango and it just carves it right out. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is you kind of use it to peel the meat out. 
or the fruit. I have seen that. Dude, it's so great. It like works like a dream and you wouldn't think it would, but it's great. Hmm. That's my mango hack. That's another one of classic Brian's fruit tips. I just think that gnawing on the extra sweet, extra tender little mm, like yeah, a squirrel. Yeah. It's very good. To answer the original question, I like a pear to feel like it might leak. Mm. You hold it too aggressively, and then when you're eating it, it runs. And over the sink is the best way because you don't want to get it on anything else. And you just rinse it all down, and it's all good. I will say that if it's like a charcuterie board and there's some cheese, I would like a slightly firmer pear in that situation. Yeah. Thinly sliced, firm pear. Just get back to spam emails for a second. My version of this, that I can't believe I'm still getting these emails despite having unsubscribed multiple times. I, in 2017, Vernon and I were awarded Forbes 30 under 30 in the like gaming, whatever, humble brag. Mm -hmm. I have gotten no benefits from this designation other than everyone on Twitter complains about the 30 under 30 every year. Yes. And they put you on a spam email list where they just fucking spam email you (laughs) constantly. It's always some sort of like, come to Dubai for the Forbes 30 under 30 summit. And it's like everyone else on the list is a fucking venture capitalist. I'm not going to jet over to Dubai. What? Yeah. But they have like a merch store exclusively for 30 under 30 listers, they call them. And they sent out an email like, hey, buy stuff from the store. It's like, yeah, I'm going to spend $90 on a hoodie to tell everyone I was on the 30 under 30 list. Why on earth would I do this? Why? Especially when it, it's clearly impossible to rip off that design and just print your own no matter who you are. <laughs> so it has zero value. And they were ugly this year, too. And also, who's going to fucking walk around with a 30 under 30? Precisely the kind of person who would do that is the kind of person you do not want to hang out with. You're inviting people to slap you in the face. So yeah. <laughs> no thank you, Forbes. Like, <laughs> congratulations being named 30 under 30. That's uh, great. If you're yeah. flaunting it by wearing the dope hoodie, that's like, you know, 3030. That's not my speed, personally. Yeah, I'm good. It's also like people put in your name for it, as with any sort of like award or whatever. None of these things are directly linked to quality of work. Like none of them ever are. And that's the thing that I feel like everybody misses every year when they complain about it of like, oh, it fetishizes being younger, blah, blah, blah. It's like, this is actually not a reflection of anything. Also, it's the company Forbes. Why would you ever expect Forbes to have any sort of like... uh, Well, to me, it reeks of the... Surely you guys remember the who's who books, right? Do you remember these? Only as a punchline. In high school? Yeah. So you guys are younger enough than me that that this was less of a thing. But I remember getting in high school these constant, like if your GPA was over whatever or PSAT score or something, they would send you this thing, which is like, you can be in who's who in New Jersey, which is like this big fucking book, which just like is the bios of like high achieving high school students. And all you have to do is pay $200 for the book (laughs) to be in it. (laughs) And people fell for this constantly because it had the phrase who's who in it. It was the scammiest bullshit. And, you know, you're young. You don't really realize that all they're doing is making money off of insecure high schoolers, 100% a marketing ploy. And I don't know if they still do this. It's probably just some weird website now. For me, what that evokes is um, the books of all like the crazy accomplishments. Guinness Book of World Records? Guinness, yes. The Guinness records. 
it's that same thing. You can essentially make up any record you want. Yeah. And you just pay for them to come and adjudicate you doing whatever stupid thing. I feel like that's not happening as much now. 30 under 30 still happens every year. There's like these edifices of it. Yeah. The who's who isn't as big in my memory, but there's so much stuff like that. I was a band nerd and there was the Macy's All-American marching band. Oh, yeah. Where for the Thanksgiving Day Parade, you could pay like $5,000 or something and go and be in, in this marching band that sight read a bunch of lame music while you marched in the Macy's Parade. And all you had to mm-hmm. do was just pay however much it cost yeah. to Macy's to be in it. It didn't mean anything about you being good or being picked or whatever. All that stuff, I don't see that anymore, but maybe it's not aimed at me. I'm aged out of that, so it's aimed at kids now or something. I don't know. I think that's part of it. I feel like Guinness World Records became less of a thing when you could literally just put into the YouTube search bar, you know, most erasers shoved up nose (laughs) and get someone who's like, you know, here's 60. Any dumb world record you can think of is going to be easily searchable. It just doesn't seem impressive anymore. And there's no reason to codify it. You know, if it's like something that's really impressive instead of just some niche thing someone did because they found that they could do a lot of it or whatever, then that's one thing. But like, who cares what Guinness thinks when you can find out, you know, what TikTok thinks or whatever. I only found out recently that the Guinness and Guinness World Records is like Guinness, like beer. I didn't know that until maybe last month. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Let's introduce the show here. Everybody, this is... Leighton Night with Brian Wecht. Over here we have Leighton Gray. Yo, what's up? That one was Brian Wecht. Hi. Dear sweet mystery guest, would you care to introduce yourself? I'm Bob Myskins. I don't know what to call myself, man. I do YouTube with friends. I stream video games is one of my main, but in this last year I've released a podcast with some friends, which is also sort of one of my main things now. I've done a lot of random crap. If there's such thing as a journeyman of life, like journeyman athletes, (laughs) I've done so many random things. Eventually, I'm going to find something I really just hone in on and get good at. So far, no progress on that. (laughs) Bob, thank you so much for being here. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and get to see you and hang out. So thank you for taking the time. The goal is to find a bunch of hobbies and then turn each one into a side hustle that maybe you can monetize and turn into a career. Until you no longer have any hobbies that bring you joy. They are all simply cogs in the machine of capitalism. (laughs) Never have fun. Turn everything that's fun into something that you're like, oh, I could put that out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was trying to think, do I have any hobbies? I guess doing puzzles, maybe, which is going to be one of my peaches. But that's probably the only thing I can think of that's like a hobby hobby. But everything else, what the fuck do I do that's a hobby? I don't know. Bob, what are your hobbies? Is it a hobby to... Put off going to bed by watching TV (laughs) because there's nothing going on and you can't work anymore because you burned out. Yep. (laughs) I play video games like 30 some hours a week. That still is my hobby. I'll spend a whole day, eight hours playing games, and then it'll be like 1030 at night and I can't sleep. So I haven't ruined that yet. Somehow thousands of hours of gaming later. I do it off air. I play the stuff I play off air sometimes for content, but I play like sports games, like trashy stuff. Oh, yeah. NHL 22 or or the <laughs> UFC games. Nice. But I'm not good at them. I just play them. Let's me think. There's a good delineation between like, this is a game that I'm playing for content and also like, I need to chill the fuck out and I need to get my brain to be quiet. So yeah. I'm going to get into this thing. Yeah. Are there games you would say you are good at? What does that mean to you? So one of my... Passions in gaming is esports. 
And I wouldn't say I'm particularly good as a player, but I'm very invested in games like Counter-Strike and Valorant is a relatively new game. They're like tactical esports 5v5 shooter sort of things. Uh I play them a lot, quite a bit, and I know a fair amount about the games and about what I should do, but I lack the practice and the dedication and the 10 years younger that you need to be to have the reaction times <laughs> um, to be like good at playing them. But I really yeah. enjoy playing them poorly. So I'm, that's something I, I guess I'm good at, but not in a skillful way, in more of a knowledgeable, enjoyable way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The concept of being good at a game is so interesting to me because like anything these days, they're professionals that do it. So if you're like, yeah, I'm good at, I don't know, fucking Fortnite, which is probably the worst example to pick. <laughs> but talk about a profession, like there's tons of professional Fortnite players. But yeah. also, just because you're the most popular one doesn't mean you're the best, right? Those are not correlated at all in many cases. Any game I play, like literally any game right now, no matter how good I get at it, there's going to be tens of thousands of people who are better at it than I am, at least probably hundreds of thousands. Well, I think it's really interesting the, how the internet has opened up more of an ability to define what you think is being good is in any given game. Yeah. I also enjoy a lot of speedrunning content where, you know, you're trying to finish something as quickly as possible or with the minimal items or whatever. Yeah. But it's arbitrary goals. And there are some really hilarious ones where it's like, can I beat Super Mario 64 blindfolded? <laughs> you can. And yeah. that's been done. And like the people who've done that are probably not the best at the speed run of, you know, all the stars category or whatever, minimum stars, but they're the best at their category and they've spent thousands of hours to be able to memorize all these inputs and tricks to get back on track. It's amazing. It's fascinating. There's any way you could play a game. There's probably someone who was like, that's how I want to be the best at this thing. And I don't care if no one else cares. I'm going to like work and practice and this is what I'm interested in. Well, and it's fascinating, especially with speed running. There's such a cool overlap with like hacker culture and a hacker kind of ethos where in many ways, the whole point, like you're not hacking the game, but you're trying to find every fucking possible shortcut, every glitch that's going to help you. And it's this very like, hey, let's get into the guts. You know, I'm sure there are people looking at the source code and everything and like, really, let's get into it and figure out exactly how I can maximize every possible advantage, even if it's not like the spirit of the law. Yeah, it's in the game, even if you're modifying code with specific inputs and doing things to the game that didn't even seem possible. Yeah, it's in the game. So it's it's part of it. (laughs) On the flip side of that, just telling people that they are bad at a game or like they should not stream or make a video if they are bad at a game. It's like you've completely missed the point. That's not how this. Yes works like not to sound like a mom about it but like (laughs) i think you're the best at the game if you're having fun i literally had this conversation with audrey today because she is playing (laughs) Link's awakening on our switch you know she's seven so the game is like doable for her but it's kind of tricky you know there's some puzzles that are a little hard and she told me she's like i'm cheating at the game because i'm watching a walkthrough (laughs) while i'm playing it and i was like honey you're not cheating at the game that's just how you enjoy playing it There's nothing wrong with that. And if you want to give yourself an added challenge, try to solve the puzzles, but don't think of it as cheating. Just think of it as this is how I have fun with this. And there's no right or wrong way. Also, you're not online, so you don't have to have people tell you you're cheating at it, which is great (laughs) because you're seven. But yeah, it feels weird to me to feel like this is a piece of 
knowledge I'm trying to impart to my child, but there's no wrong way to play it. It's like, however you have fun, just do it. You're passing on the gamer wisdom. That's right, which is hard earned. I don't know if that is gamer wisdom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is maybe the trap of the internet where you see all the loudest and dumbest opinions about things, but I feel like gamers love nothing more than to scream at each other that they're doing it wrong. Yeah. Or that they're yelling at is not following the spirit or they suck or whatever. <laughs> like I even feel myself get into that. I want to enjoy things my way and I'm happy to do that myself, but it's easy to forget. That doesn't mean that anyone else needs to enjoy it in that way. Right. But maybe that's just the internet amplifying all of the shittiest takes that are out there. I feel like you see that a lot. I do. And there's a moving line, too, which is like in Audrey's case. And th this is the constant line, especially when you're a parent that you deal with, which is what's too much of a challenge, basically, right? Like, obviously, you want your kids to work hard and like try stuff and not give up immediately. But you don't want to push them so hard that they, you know, get upset and get angry and blah, blah, blah. I mean, you're constantly making mistakes and what that line is changes day to day based on mood and blah, 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 a million other things. But I think about this a lot with Audrey. It's like, I want to push her, but not too hard. And games are a great example of this because it's like, oh, you know, I could say, hey, you're not allowed to watch that walkthrough. Why the fuck would I say that? Like, she's seven. <laughs> she's having fun with it. Like, let her enjoy it. You know, being a kid is stressful. She has a lot of stuff to deal with. So let her just play the game. On the other hand, would I mind if she was like, you know what? I'm going to try to solve this puzzle myself. No. And in fact, I'd be super proud of her. So I never know where that line is. It's something I'm constantly adjusting mentally. Well, there's like the tackling a challenge. And then also just like, for example, the way that she plays Stardew Valley, which is I'm not going to do anything and I'm going to go to sleep at 10 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is great. Yeah. Perfectly valid. But she doesn't really like that game, does she? You know, like any game, she like comes and goes with it. It's not one of her favorites right now. Right now, she really likes any Zelda game. So she's watching me play Hyrule Warriors, the new one, a lot. She's playing Link's Awakening. She kind of went back to Breath of the Wild. She actually, mainly, she wants to watch walkthroughs of games on YouTube, which is great. Our only rule is no talking. You can't watch a channel where people are talking. Mm. It's too hard to control that as a parent. Or let me put it this way. If she does watch a channel where people are talking, then we vet it. Like, I want to hear what they're saying because, you know, it's not hard to find like, and then you let Mario, you know, jump over the Goomba. And the reason you shouldn't be vaccinated is because you know, <laughs> it's like, well, okay, wait a minute. You know, like, I always worry about this kind of stuff. So our rule of thumb is no talking. That's a pretty good rule, actually. I've always wondered how parents deal with that. Putting out content. I'm not for young children. Oh, dude, same. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a lot of those moments where I'm at a convention or something and uh, like a second grader walks up in a Markiplier shirt or whatever, one of my friend's shirts or one of mine maybe. Yeah. And is like, I love your stuff. And their parent is like, she loves your videos. And we watch them. <laughs> and I'm like, so you know what's in them. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know about that. Now try going through that, except you're in a sex band. And <laughs> some eight-year-old walks up to you and they're like, I love no reason voter. And yeah. you're like, what am I supposed to say? To this? <laughs> you know, when they're real little, of course, the parents are with them. But it's like, I uh, thank you. But also, why are you letting this kid listen? But also, that's cool. 
you know, like we let Audrey listen to NSP stuff, not all of it, but some of it. And so you don't know exactly what they're hearing. Yesterday, I recorded a cameo for a six-year-old in my ninja suit <laughs> because the parents were like, he loves Ninja Brian. He thinks he's really funny. Hell yeah. That's awesome. I love it. You know, I don't know what this kid's experience with me is, but I'm going to record a little video that says happy birthday, you know, or whatever in, in the ninja costume and stare at him. I'm not going to flip him off. I won't flip off a kid, yeah. but you know, it's so weird. And I have such mixed emotions about the little littles, like kids, my kids age coming up to me and being like, I love your stuff with a parent, you know, it's weird. And there's like the other end of like what I personally experienced having been a fan of Ninja Sex Party when I was a teenager, which was my mom having a complete fucking meltdown when she right. found out that the band that I really liked had sex in the title. Yeah. <laughs> but you were also like, a teenager at the time, which is... It's like, mom, I can legally drive a car. <laughs> Like you're aware of sex existing, probably a six and seven year old, you know, might have no idea what that even means. And I'm not going to be the one to explain it to them. You know, we hear a lot from teenage fans who are like, well, look, I would buy your merch, but I literally can't have something that says on the car, the credit card or whatever, yeah. have something that says ninja sex party. And so we think a lot when we put stuff out, like, should we do NSP or ninja sex party or whatever? Because- I'm probably not even going to walk around with a shirt that says sex on it. You're opening yourself up to something that maybe you don't want to. Yeah, I won't even wear our Stay Safe Come Hard shirt. <laughs> that one I'll wear. Unless I have to do my laundry. So that's a catchphrase for the podcast, Bob, is Stay Safe Come Hard. <laughs> and this is the earliest in the episode I think it's ever happened. Normally, it's the last thing that's said yeah. and is not acknowledged otherwise. But we have a t-shirt where it's like a black metal thing where you can't even tell what it says. So that one I will wear out in public because it just looks like some, you know, gnarled roots of a, of a tree. I wanted to talk about band. Oh yeah. Stuff. Let's see. What do you play? You play tuba, right? Yep. And anything else? I started in sixth grade on trombone and I sort of split those through high school. I switched to tuba because you always need more tubas. I was fairly good. I was fairly naturally gifted. So I sort of could switch and it worked well, but I played bass trombone in like oh, dude, our jazz awesome. bands and stuff. The best. So I was always like fifth trombone in the jazz band. And until my freshman year of high school, I thought I was going to be a football player. The band was just something that was fun, but I hurt my shoulder and I basically need to have surgery or years of rehab and that sort of put a damper on football. It also turns out I didn't like any of the guys on the football team. <laughs> and they didn't like me because um, I was a nerd. But they put up with me because I'm a huge dude. I'm 6'4". I've always been like really big, less muscle now than I used to be. But I was always a lineman. Like I was always that kid where it's just like, how is he so tall in eighth grade? It doesn't <laughs> uh -huh. seem fair. But I got the injury and I switched to band. And once I switched to music in high school, that sort of became the thing I thought I was going to do. And I did everything. I played yeah, bass trombone and E-flat tuba in an English brass band, which went to oh, like the North American brass band competition and competed. I played in the Columbus Youth Jazz, which we actually toured Italy one summer, oh. playing jazz and drinking wine as juniors and seniors in high school, which is <laughs> questionable. And it's Italy. Yeah, they don't care. <laughs> then we showed up to one gig in Italy and the host came out didn't speak a lot of English, but came out very jovial with two cases of wine to the high school <laughs> jazz band. It was just like, hey, come on, drink, come on, drink. And like we were there with our band leader and his buddy who was a jazz saxophone player. And they were both just like, 
don't get too drunk, kids. All right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But like I did all kinds of musical exploits and I went to college to study music education and study tuba and that didn't work out. It turns out you have to really, really have a passion for it because being a music teacher is hard. Yes. Nobody wants you to have any of the resources you need. Nobody cares if you lose time or if you're losing students or if your experience is bad for your students, even though you all you need is a little bit to offer them you know, some huge joy, something they would never get in any other. It's a hard life. And so I ended up switching out of music and getting another degree. But I found some buddies and played in a funk band in college and actually gigged in a funk band. On tuba? On sousaphone is a New Orleans style jazz band. Oh, dude, so yes. it was like sax section, trumpets, trombones, and me and a berry and the drums were like the rhythm section. That's awesome. And our one album that we cut, Bootsy Collins did the title track vocals. Because somebody knew a guy who knew a guy. It was super cool. Incredible. That rules. Is that available anywhere? <laughs> yeah, the band is the Cincy Brass. It's on, you know, Spotify and places. It's out there. Hell yeah. I hate listening to it because I hear my own playing now and all I hear is <laughs> everything I should have practiced more and done differently. But yeah, oh, I got it. That's just how it is. But yeah, music has been a huge part of my life. I love it. Did you meet Bootsy in person? I was at the studio when he did the track. But it was one of those things where we had like 20 minutes. His car was going to drop him off at the studio and he was going to walk in, listen to the track once and then just say some stuff yep. and incorporate the name of the band or the name of the album, which I think he did both. And then he went somewhere else and that was it. So I was in the same like building. <laughs> That's cool. He's busy, man. I'm such a Bootsy fan. I'd rather be with you. Actually, it was legitimately one of my favorite songs of all time. It's so, so great. But yeah, did you ever consider like at some point rather than music education where you were like, oh, I want to be a, you know, whatever, a symphonic brass player or jazz brass player or something like that? Was that on the table? So I went to a conservatory. Musicians are pretty chill. Everyone knows how to relax. And yeah, we've all seen whiplash. Even the classical musicians are a good time at that yeah. age in college. But I never really fit in with like the orchestral model of tuba playing every orchestra has like one tuba yes and you're an island you have to know how to do what you're supposed to do and no one cares that you're there unless you do it wrong right and then everyone is pissed that you messed up so i was a tuba player in the symphony for a while too in mm. college and the parts are just terrible with a few exceptions like they're not that exciting you're just kind of sitting there with this big horn and there's a lot of rests yeah, most of the repertoire. So it's not the most fun thing to play. And also like depending on the group you're in, but if you're a symphonic tuba player or any kind of symphonic musician, you're playing the same shit over and over and over again. So you don't even get the fun like stuff half the time. It's just, oh, we're doing that Mozart symphony again. Okay, there we go. Yeah. I had a lot of envy for like the few years that I played viola. I was just really, really envious of the people who chose violin. Like I got talked into viola <laughs> because there was only one other girl and they needed another viola. And they were like, no, it'll be cooler. If you do it professionally, it'll be easier for you to get a job. It's like, oh no. No, but you made the right choice. <laughs> when you're a beginner, because I only got maybe like two, three years into it, like the parts that you get to play when you are not good at it are not fun. And then yes. you just get to sit and watch the violin sections do actually cool little melodies while you're like... Right. Uh, and the other girl never practiced, so we would constantly be fucking up the entire deal. <laughs> yeah. 
It was a little too stressful. It is 100% true, and I know Bob will back me up on this, that the bigger the instrument gets, the more awesome it gets. Like, the cooler instruments are the bigger ones. Like, it is just true. I, the baritone sax is the coolest sax. The tuba is awesome. Bass trombone rules. I am definitely biased towards bass stuff. Biased towards the big boys. Yeah. I never had a, the proclivity to do well at it, but I do really appreciate orchestral and classical tuba live or on a good sound system. Uh-huh. The bigger instruments, they don't add, you know, maybe pitch to the melody or the harmony. They add the thing you feel. They add like the resonance. If you're in a hall and there's a good tuba player. Oh, it rules. It feels so much more impactful when they really turn it on and at the big moments. So I, that's the thing I always liked. And that was yeah. what I liked what I gravitated towards in playing too, because that's the fun part. That's the cool part. Absolutely. You must have done Tuba Christmas, right? I did actually. My teacher growing up for like high school before college organized the Tuba Christmas in Columbus. Mm-hmm. So it was always sort of goaded into going, but it was a big deal. What the hell is a Tuba Christmas? Oh, Leighton, I was hoping you would ask that. Bob, <laughs> you wanna, do you want to answer this? Sure. So there's a book. And if you're a tuba player who has any interest in whatsoever, you probably have the book. I mean, if there's a Christmas close enough for you to go to. It's yeah. just an annual gathering where tubas, euphoniums, and sometimes wrong instruments who just don't want to be a part of it will come and gather together. Yeah, but they shouldn't. They shouldn't. They don't belong. Tubas, euphoniums only. It's like the only thing we have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Please <laughs> let us have this. Yes, exactly. But they just basically play like Christmas carols. It's like four-part harmony, you know, classic tubas on the bottom, euphoniums on the top, classic like box style four-part harmony chorales. Yeah. I think it's as much or more fun for the people playing as it is for the listeners, but it's usually like you bring your student and then you sit in the audience as the parents and you have some fun Christmas tunes. And yeah. It's fun. It's like sight reading, which is always exciting when you're a younger player too, because it's, you might screw up, but when you get it right, it feels really cool that you did it. Yeah. Well, and if you're in a large group, especially as a younger player, like you blend in a bit and you can just be part of the vibe and like, it doesn't matter how good you are. It's going to be kind of chaos anyway, but like all brass music, when it's tight, it's amazing. Like there's nothing better than a really tight brass ensemble. Oh, it's just the the most incredible sound. Great news, everyone. Tuba Christmas has a website and it looks amazing. Uh, does it look like it's from 2004? Because <laughs> oh, yes, it does. <laughs> Tuba 1004. <laughs> oh, man. What a sight. <laughs> so in college, we had our own Tuba Christmas ensemble. I went to Williams, which is a small college. I mean, 2,000 students. So we didn't have a lot of low brass players. I mean, generously, like eight or something <laughs> like that. And the name of our Tuba Christmas ensemble was Sweet Death. Because mm-hmm. of the famous Bach piece, Come Sweet Death, Come Tod, however you say that in German. And so every Christmas, it'd be like, Sweet Death is coming. We'd put up the flyers. Everybody grab your brass and get your Santa hats and sit on the steps of the gym and play, you know, Tuba Christmas for whatever, an hour in the middle of December in Massachusetts when it's really fucking cold and you really don't want to be outside. But we did it anyway, and it was awesome. I'm so glad to hear that this exists and is a thriving thing on its 48th year. Wow, 48th year. When you play brass out in the cold, does it make your mouth cold? Is that uncomfortable? 
It's an awesome blending of experiences. Yes. Especially when you do marching band. And the band I was in in Cincinnati, we played things like the Reds opening day parade. Oh, sweet. Or we would do like Mardi Gras, which in Ohio can be winter. Right. (laughs) We played a Mardi Gras once where it was icy on the street and people were like falling down as we led a parade. In modernly, you can get a plastic mouthpiece, which is great yes. because plastic doesn't get as cold. Yeah, thermal insulator is the, That's the one. Yes. Mm. But metal mouthpieces, if you take your mouth off it for two seconds. Oh, fuck, it sucks. It gets ice cold and you put it back on to your like super moist, wet face because it's condensation is all over your whole face. Yep. And the thing is cold and then it warms back. It's just a gross it's like all moist, mushy experience all around. Sort of like when you're out in the cold and you're like, ah, oh, it'll be nice to wash my hands with hot water. And then, no, it is not. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Bob, did you play the plastic sousaphone? Yeah, mercifully. Me too. The band leader was a uh, middle school band director. So we had a three quarters plastic sousaphone wrapped around a 275 pound, six foot four dude in the back <laughs> of the band. What's a sousaphone? It's the kind of tuba that marching bands use where it wraps around you as a person. Mm -hmm. It's the same instrument as a concert tuba, but it slings across your body and it aims forward instead of aiming up. Yeah, it's basically a big circle that just kind of sits and then the bell comes up and over. It's just easier to carry around than a a full-on tuba. In college, they called it the marching band, but it was one of those fake marching bands where you just march in between the songs and Mm. then you stand in position and play the song. It was mostly there for comedic purposes, but we had two uh, sousaphone players, me and someone else, and we had the plastic or whatever they are, white sousaphones with brass mouthpieces, and it was was so much fun to play those and run around the football field and play songs badly. Oh, it was great. The Williams College, one of the traditional songs is The Mountains. It's in the Berkshire Mountains in Massachusetts, and Mm. The tubas, the sousaphones, were always at the tops of the mountains as the snow-capped peaks because they were made out of white plastic. And so we would scramble into mountain formation and always put the tubas right at the top. So it was quite an honor. That's adorable. Indeed. Yeah. Did you ever have to repair those? Did you ever break your bell and do something stupid? You know what? I didn't. I banged it into enough shit. I dented the the tuba tuba. Certainly got enough dents in that thing. And that was a piece of crap. I mean, that thing was like owned by the college and probably had been for 30 years and real banged up. And, you know, it worked, but oh, barely. So that one was dented, but never irreparably so. The sousaphones, I got lucky. The worst thing that happened to me, the band always did all sorts of band bullshit. So we would like grab the instruments and like run around the campus. And at one point we were running around like the steam tunnels and I was running with the sousaphone and I slammed the bell into a low hanging beam. And rather than injuring the tuba, what it did was shove the <sighs> mouthpiece into my mouth. That oh, hurt. I didn't like break a tooth or anything, but you know, if it could survive that, it could survive anything. Did something happen to you? The punishment for being an idiot uh, in high school was you had to fix your own practice horn. Oh my God. We had all metal ones for football games and for competitions or whatever, but you don't, you want to keep those nice and shiny. You don't want to ding those up and practice after school and stuff. So we also had a set of like plastic beater ones and they're really easy to fix. It's fiberglass, right? So it's basically epoxy and fiberglass. So to fix it, lots of people would lay it down on the bell and then it gets stepped on or it would basically crack in nice clean lines and you just, 
get the mold out, the form out, set the bell on the form, and then paint the epoxy, layer the thing, and then you have to sand it down and shape. So oh, they wow. all look terrible. <laughs> but that was the punishment. If you were the idiot who broke your bell in practice, you then had to stay after and do that and repair it yourself. You know what, dude? I have not thought about this for years. This is giving me such flashbacks, the thing you said about taking it home, to bringing a Barry Sachs or a tuba or whatever home on the fucking school bus and there's just no place to put it. So you have to put it in the aisle and everyone's mad. And, you know, the kids are like making fun of you for bringing this stupid thing home that's inconveniencing everyone. And it's also winter. So it's like snowing and wet outside. And oh. and you already have like a backpack and books and your huge yes. thing. And in my case, it's not like you were popular anyway before <laughs> you brought this thing onto the bus. Yeah. And so you're not doing yourself literally any favors by bringing this gigantic instrument onto the bus. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> I was lucky or unlucky. We happened to live the exact distance where we were just inside the line for busing for my high oh, school. Yeah. It was like a 45 minute walk to and from my high school for my parents' house, which is pretty harsh in the winter. Luckily, my mom was like a 13 hour a day worker. So she was up early and would just drop me off on the way. Oh, nice. But yeah, I never voluntarily carried it home on days when I had to walk that trip. I just didn't practice. Yeah. Was there any better feeling? I love this in high school is like going to the school at night for a band concert. And then you go there and you play the concert and you're like in the school at night and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm in the school at night. And then you go to the band room and no one else is in the band room and you're in a yeah. room all alone in the school at night, putting your fucking horn away. Oh, to me, that was the ultimate like, hey, this is what being an adult is like. I'm alone in the school. Oh shit. I'm awesome. Now, if you're an actual adult and you're alone in a school, there's probably a problem. Yeah. No, yeah, I've actually had that experience. <laughs> and it feels different. When Mandy and I, my wife and I, were in grad school, we were in a community band. She was a music major, and she finished her performance degree. She plays clarinet, and I played tuba in a community band that practiced at a high school. And at the break or whatever, you go walk to the bathroom, and it's like 8.30 at a high school, and the <laughs> only people there are maybe a janitor or something wandering around doing stuff. It feels like if the wrong person, if the principal walked in and you were like coming out of the kid's bathroom <laughs> by yourself, like, it's not what it looks like, sir. I just need to go back to band practice. <laughs> well, now I have the experience occasionally, you know, we're at Audrey's school and they have little kid sized bathrooms that you have to use. Oh, and that weird. is such a weird feeling to be yeah. like. Why is this toilet so small? I don't like, like it's. Wait, they have like tinier toilets for children. Yeah, they're like half size oh, yeah. toilets or smaller. They're tiny. What? Yep. I worked in a K-12 school for a couple years and it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's such an odd feeling. I mean, it really feels like something has gone wrong. I shouldn't be in here. I don't like this. But sometimes you just have I'm like, what can you do? You're using the bathroom in a school. I guess there is something really exciting about when you're a child and an adult size thing is child size where it's just like, oh, yeah. Did you guys have access to any of those sorts of like children's museums where they have like a little mini grocery with fake foods and stuff? Because there were a few of those in Wilmington. No, that sounds cool. Yeah, I didn't. But I've been in some with Audrey now. It's incredible. I mean, it's straight up Lord of the Flies, but it is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just any sort of larger thing that's small. I had like a dentist that had a little tiny door that you could mm -hmm. go into if you were a kid. Like it's a door, but it's my size. Wow. 
We went to one in Seattle, I think, that had that. That was really cool. I remember some cool children's museums when I was growing up. Now, they are fucking unbelievable. Like, they have these incredible climbing structures that just did not exist when I was there, there's a really good one in Minneapolis that we've taken, or actually St. Paul, I guess, that we've taken Audrey to. So they have all like, you know, kind of exhibity stuff, but they also have these fucking cool structures that adults just can't fit in. And the one in Boston actually is this crazy thing. It goes all the way up to the ceiling, like a couple uh-huh. stories, and it's all enclosed in ropes. And it's just amazing. Watching a bunch of kids just like dive into it is the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. Children's museums, if they had an adult size one, it would cause problems because people would get up to some real bullshit (laughs) in it. But the kids, it's very funny just watching kids like go ham on these things. (laughs) You know, imagine having the coolest treehouse you've ever seen at your disposal. It's fucking great. I'm glad to hear that children's museums are really cool still and not just like, here's a tablet. Yes. The good ones are very (laughs) experiential. And, you know, there's stuff on screens. Some of them suffer from science museum disease where they try to be very interactive, but all that means is a bunch of kids just destroy it by pushing buttons and turning cranks and shit. And you don't Mm -hmm. actually learn anything because no one takes the time to use the things the way they were meant to be used. So a lot of these science museums, you know, they're very carefully and interestingly designed and they're so cool. And then they just get destroyed by 10 year olds who are racing through trying to slam all the buttons and turn on lights and stuff. I don't know if there's a right answer to that. Like if they just shouldn't try to do it or kids should be better regulated or whatever. I think it's a hard problem, but some of the children's museums try to do that sciencey thing but also just have some fun shit for kids to do. So really the best children's museums I've been in have just been like super dope indoor playgrounds where they have structures that you wouldn't otherwise get. And they have like the little grocery store, the little fire station or yeah, or whatever. And then there's some stuff for adults to read too. Definitely not a uh, children's exhibit, but in terms of museum thing I did as a child that has stuck with me until now was there was a traveling Titanic exhibit. Ooh where A, they would give you the little card at the beginning of the exhibit of like, you're this person. And at the end, you find out if you died. But (laughs) the part that (laughs) really, which is pretty tight. But the part that really stuck with me is they had like some sort of like chilled thing of water that you could put your hand in that was meant Mm -hmm. to be the temperature that the water was. Mm, And the challenge was like, see how long you can keep your hand in it. And now I'm Mm. like, oh, ew, a bucket of water that children are putting their hands in all day. (laughs) That's like freezing. But I can't think of a better way to like instantly communicate something as like, it just feels like such a strong way to impart that to the point that it sticks with me even now. Yeah. You're young enough that that would have been post-movie, right? Oh, certainly. By a lot, yeah. Right, yeah. Why don't we move on to some segments, since it seems like it's that time of the show. Okay, our first segment, Bob, is called What's Poppin'? It is our pop culture recommendation segment. You get to talk about book, movie, video game, music, whatever you like, something that you're enjoying. The theme song for that, as I say, every week is added in post-production. And it is some music that I wrote, but you won't get to hear it here. I try to brief all the guests on this. It's not something they're going to hear during the show. We put it in afterwards. So sadly, you won't hear it right now. But if you listen to the episode, you will. And that theme song goes right here. What's poppin'? What's poppin'? And that's the introduction to the what's poppin' bit. Cool. Layden, what's poppin'? 
What's popping for me is now, Brian, you have to hear me talk about this for a third time because I talked to you about it <laughs> on a call and then on the mini-sode, but I feel that it's important. Well, A, that I want to talk about Cormac McCarthy on the public feed, but also I haven't been consuming any other content except for like YouTube interrogations, which nobody wants to hear about. Mm-hmm. What's popping for me is Cormac McCarthy's Child of God, No Country for Old Men, and Blood Meridian. Oh my God, so good. So, so good. I started with The Road, which was not a good idea because I could not give less of a fuck about apocalypse stories or like mm, father-son sentimentality. Boo, who cares? Lots of people, just not me. Anyway, if you like the movie No Country for Old Men, give the book a shot. You will really enjoy it. If you're like a pervert and you want to read about a serial killer doing terrible shit, Child of God. If you like Westerns, Blood Meridian. Just incredible prose, good stuff all around. Cormac McCarthy... Stan Squad, yes. Someone else. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Bob, what you got? Well, I love No Country for Old Men, so that's really interesting. The movie is extremely faithful to the book, and they're both great. Even knowing what happens in the movie, reading the book, it like totally slaps you with it, and it's like, damn, that was really masterfully done. I knew it was going to happen, but it got me. That's interesting. Well, my thing that's popping is I have a song is specifically, but an album in general that is like one of the few things I've liked maybe since I learned of its existence. The album is called Center Level Roar, mm. and it's by the band Youngblood Brass Band. Oh. They are a New Orleans-based jazz, hip-hop, funk band. They have MCs that rap on some of their songs. Oh, awesome. One of their bright points is they have a sousaphone player who is out of this world, who blends like... DJing with being the base of the band. His lines are intricate and fascinating, but also he uses like sound effects. There's songs where he screams through his horn, which is a really interesting sound. They're just a really great band. And specifically the song VIP off that album, that song has gotten me through like some of the hardest times of my life. I have a law degree, which was a battle to finish my three-year law degree, but I did it. And I cannot even count the number of days I was driving home from law school, just absolutely burned out, no hope in the world, I'm never gonna finish this, and I could put that song on. And it has a really bright intro that builds layers with the horns coming in with different parts. By the time the intro is done, like everything just starts to feel better. I roll the windows down. I love that. It's a drive home from school to the house, and by the time I get home, I feel better. And it still works. Anytime I'm in a bad mood, there's something about that song that it captures that couldn't explain, even though I've listened to it hundreds of times. And the whole album is ridiculous, but that song is like just a feel-good jam, and it's long. It's like a seven-minute song or something. It's all good. Some great solos in it. It's very good. That's awesome. But that's also a bit of an oldie. The album came out in 2003, and I've been listening to it since like 06 or something. Half the stuff we recommend here came out in like 1972, so it's all good. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of which, Brian... Mm -hmm. What's popping, and is it from 1972? Well, actually, I'm debating saying exactly the same thing I said last week or the last time we recorded, Leighton, which you weren't able to be on that episode. No, it's not. Because I want to talk to you about it. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to do two. That's the <gasps> same thing. Two poppins. I've done the, exactly one of these before, but who cares? I saw for the first time My Dinner with Andre, mm. the 1981 Wallace Shawn, Andre Gregory movie. And I'd been putting it off for years, and it fucking rules. It is 
So great. So the plot is two middle-aged men have dinner. That's it. And one of them's Wallace Shawn and the other's not. And I just cannot recommend this movie highly enough. I was scared to watch it because I was like, I don't know. But these two have a conversation that is compelling and interesting and funny. And I love this movie so much. Now I understand why people have been raving about it for years. I'm sure some people hated it. Those people are wrong. This movie is great. So I so desperately wish we could phone this friend without scaring the shit out of him. But Jory loves that movie and speaks very highly of it. I have still not seen it, but I've pretty much only been interested in it because Jory loves it. But now that you also love it, I feel the need to watch it. I also have not seen it, but have been intending to watch that movie for years for a much different reason. There's an episode of the TV show Community called My Dinner with Abed. Ah, <laughs> and Abed is a character, for anyone who has a watch show, Abed's a character who is like on the autism spectrum in some way. I think they say that he has Asperger's specifically, yeah. but he basically communicates through referential humor and referencing pop culture. And there's an entire episode that is like a weird play on my dinner with Andre. Yeah. But it taught me enough about the movie that I know it's exactly the sort of thing that I will enjoy because I like that kind of movie, but I've never watched it. Yeah. It's kind of like you. I'm always afraid I'm going to watch it and not like it. And it'll sort of shatter all these things and hopes I've had about how good it is. And everyone I've ever heard talk about it loved it. And it's great. And then I'm the one who doesn't like it. I don't want to be that guy. But yeah, I, that makes me want to watch it even more. Well, Bob, can I tell you what my other What's Poppin' is this week? Sure. It's community. <laughs> because I watched my dinner with Andre and was reading about references to it. You know, there's one of the Simpsons, there's one in Waiting for Guffman. There's the, the whole episode in community. And I was like, man... Fuck, community. I've been meaning to rewatch that. I'm not even sure I ever saw the final season. And I loved it when it was on. Saw, you know, everything at least up to the final season. Yeah, I'm in the middle of season two now. And that show just fucking rules. It is so smart and fun and funny. The characters are great. It's well acted. It's well written. And Chevy Chase, obviously one of the nicest guys in Hollywood. It's just good to <laughs> support him. It's such a great show. I don't remember. I know season four. Four, Harmon leaves, and or maybe it's season three, and then he comes back. Yeah. I don't remember the order, but yeah, that's the drama. Harmon leaves and comes back, and it's all kind of not right until he comes back. Yeah. I mean, I watched it when it was on. I don't remember it being awful, but I'm curious to see what I'll think about it now. But it's such a great show, and I'm really, really enjoying rewatching it. And also, because it's a show that's like 10 years old, now a bunch of the bit players in the background are people who are well-known for other stuff. Like one episode I just saw has Paul Walter Hauser just like walk through on a bit part. And I was like, oh my God, I think that's Paul Walter Hauser. <laughs> it's always fun to watch those sitcoms from 10 years ago and see bit players who now have like big, big, big careers. He was already big, but Community is also the show that introduced me to Donald Glover mm-hmm. and to start learning about everything that he does and has done. Yeah. I always appreciate that too because his everything that he has done has just been... Super enjoyable. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting. He was at UCB the same time Danny and I were in the like mid 2000s because he was part of this group, Derek Comedy. And so he was like a comedy dude and was doing music too as, you know, Childish Gambino started around then. But he was definitely, you know, I thought of him as like a comedy guy. And now Childish Gambino has become this whole like other thing, which has so far exceeded any didn't have expectations for it exactly, but I forget if he calls himself that or if that's the name of the project or whatever. 
this might be wrong, but I think that he moved away from Childish Gambino and is just publishing it as himself now. It's just Donald Donald Glover is his his musician name. But yeah, that was cool. like his artist name for a few albums there while he was doing comedy stuff. Right. You guys have seen Atlanta, right? You know what? I have not, and I've been <gasps> meaning to. Brian! I know, I know. I want to. I, I hear it's amazing. Oh, that's so delightful for you. Like, Keith Stanfield in that show is like, I mean, like, the show is great, but he is such a, like, mwah incredible. I love Lakeith Stanfield. He's great. That's one that's constantly on my list to like, oh, I should see that. But what I was going to say about Donald Glover's music is it went from like, this seems pretty good to holy shit. Like this is art. Like you are doing something big and cool and interesting now in a way that I did not see this going. And it's just awesome. I love it when people, especially people start in comedy and then just go to something way different. And I'm sure he's still a super funny guy, a good actor, all that stuff. But definitely the music side of his life is like so different than I ever imagined it it being when he was first coming up. Yeah. I feel yeah. like having a comedy spine really preps you for a lot of different creative disciplines. Like there are a lot of people who kind of start in comedy and then branch out to other stuff. And it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. What is it with the story where people are like, whoa, they can act, too. And it's like, yeah, comedy acting is hard. No wonder they can act. They're a good actor. Like they did fucking comedy for 20 years. Like when Robin Williams started doing dramas and people were like, whoa, shit. Oh my God. It's like, no, this guy is incredible. Have you seen what he can do? It's just astonishing. So it seems like there's always some comedic actor that, you know, does a Jim Carrey or a Robin Williams or, or whatever. Jennifer Coolidge actually is a really good example of this now. If you've seen her in The White Lotus, it's like one of the greatest performances I've seen in the last five years. Like all these people start in comedy and they go out to do these other cool things. And it's hard. Like I am not a comedic actor. What I do, I would not call it that at all. But people who are like true comedic actors, that's very, very, very difficult to get right. Rachel, my wife, is a very good example of that. She's just like an incredible comedic actor and an incredible actor. Yeah, she could really tank your confidence. <laughs> she said to say hi, Bob. <laughs> Actually, I rudely, I didn't bring this up. Mandy said to say hi to you and that you made the right choice and science is icky. Okay, great. <laughs> and she's jealous. But no, I got to take lessons, improv lessons with Rachel yeah, some years ago now. It was probably like five years ago now, yeah. Feels like a long time ago. Yeah. But she's so Fucking funny. Yeah, she really is. We would do whole exercises where we're working on drilling down some specific thing. It was a group of like five of us doing this. And it's a group of friends. And like we all consider ourselves funny. Like our dynamic is funny. We were not formally trained before that point. We just did it, you know, did YouTube videos. And we would do a whole exercise to just try and accomplish one good response, create one moment. We would do the whole thing for 15 minutes. And then she would say one word at the end of it that would make everyone bust out laughing. It's like the funniest thing you heard all day. And then she'd be like, all right, well, let's uh, try something else. That wasn't very good, but we'll get there. <laughs> and, but like, she's a great teacher also, but yeah, she really is. Man, that's just crushing. She's so effortlessly funny. And I know it's not effortless. I know it's experience and practice and like, it's not easy. No, that's true. But also it is just part of one of her talents is she has worked at it very hard for many, many years, but also she was, you know, funny to begin with. And so part of it, I think, is that's just her brain. That's just how it works. Yeah, she had a great time coaching you guys, and she talks about it fondly all the time. And the show you guys did was great, too. 
Well, yeah, this was a live variety show we did. And the one specifically that you guys saw in L.A. was ridiculous. So it, it was you, Mark, Wade, Ethan and Tyler. Is that right? Yeah, we did the show in L.A., which is the one you guys came to. And that one, the entire sound system broke. And we <laughs> right. basically ad libbed like the first third of the show. It was partially scripted and we had this opening that we did that was kind of like choreographed and during it we were all freaking out because halfway through the intro the sound system cut out completely and we had to just make it up on the fly with minimal or no sound for parts yeah and of course that's the show you saw but i think it turned out to be one of the better ones we did because we were forced to completely make it up on the spot instead of doing all the stuff we'd worked on you guys were awesome and we didn't even know anything was wrong we thought it was that's all how it was supposed to be you know it's the only time you see it and you guys just rolled with it and you know made it funny it was amazing you know, we went in with like, you know, this is going to be a good show. And we got out and we were like, that was a great show. And just the energy of the room was awesome. You guys were all fantastic on stage. And Rachel was just, you know, kind of like proud mama hen, just like, I helped the, I coach these guys and they're crushing it. Like, you know, that, that, that feeling you get when you're a teacher and your students go on to like, just do something amazing. It's incredible. Even though you really didn't do as much as the students did. They're the ones responsible for doing the work. But even helping guide it a bit is, you know, what that's like, Bob. No, oh, yeah. Well, then that was just getting to work with someone who was so good at the craft was such a fun experience. I don't know how much better we got in like the craft of improv. It's a very complicated thing. It takes a lot of time and practice. But yeah, just to see what she could do and talk with her and, and she gave us a lot of ideas and things that ended up being parts of the show or influencing it pretty heavily. Yeah. It's really cool. Being near anyone that's that good at anything is always fascinating. Yeah. But <laughs> when it's something that I wanted to try and do, and I realized as we're doing it, how hard it is to try and jump in. Yeah. The other fun part about that show for us was your music director was the guy who hired me to be the music director at the place where I met Rachel. So Dan Ring, who's a really talented musician, great composer, improv musician, everything. He hired me for the job at the Improv Asylum, where I was the music director for a while, even though when he hired me, it was just as a musician. And that's where I met Rachel. So you guys got to tour with the musician who's the main like in at the place where I met my wife, who also was the person that coached you for the it was this whole thing where it's like, look at these worlds all coming together. It was a really fun feeling just to see everybody in the same space. Yeah. All right. Peaches and lemons. Yes. The final segment is peaches and lemons, which is three parts gratitude exercise and one part petty grousing. And the theme song goes right here. Peaches and lemons. Peaches and lemons. Amazing. That was the theme song. We're each going to start with a lemon, which is a minor bummer, annoyance, grievance, what have you. I will start. My lemon is that I wasn't on yesterday's slash last week's episode because I got the booster on Monday and it has kicked my ass so hard that now on Wednesday I am still feeling like I was hit by four buses. Oh, brutal. Yeah, I was not prepared for it and it sucks. And I am having a wonderful time recording this episode, but the moment it is done, I am going to cover <laughs> myself in blankets and fall asleep again. But hey, I'm vexed and relaxed. It just happens oh, yeah. to entail. A, like, why does my entire back hurt? Like, why? It is weird. I feel bad bringing this up. Yesterday morning, Mandy and I got our boosters. Nice. My main gripe is that my arm kind of hurts. That was me. But the weird aches is weird, too. I'm lucky I don't respond that badly to vaccines in general. But like, 
I just kind of hurt in weird places. Like I feel that. And I don't understand what that's about, but it is concerning. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's not a big enough pain for me that I'm like, oh no, I'm hurt. But it's like, why there? Yeah. <laughs> I historically have a really bad time with vaccines. Like at my old pediatrician when I was a child, I got one vaccine that I the only time I've ever fainted in my life was right after that. And then oh, wow. I just kind of became known as the girl who fainted from that vaccine <sighs> in that office. But also it rained yesterday, which I used to love rain. Now I hate rain because it makes my bones hurt. So to get mm. bone hurty on the day that the rest of my body was hurty was not a good double whammy. Because of like the humidity? I don't know what it is, but now when it rains, just all of my joints ache because oh, wow. this is further cementing that I am a withered old crone. So I'm sure that's only going to improve as I age. Yep. All health problems. As I've said before in this podcast, they get better with age. They get a little worse until yeah. you hit 30 and then yeah, it goes right back up, right? Right back up. <laughs> Better than you've ever been. Looking yeah. forward to that. <laughs> anyway, so that's my lemon. Who has lemon? I have issues with air travel. Partially because I'm a big dude and I wish that the leg room was longer and then the usual sort of gripes. But we're flying home for the holidays because we haven't been home in quite a while and mm -hmm. didn't anticipate the Omicron variant. We'll see what happens. Yeah. But without any notification, I was looking at our booking for the flights home. Well, actually, my wife was. And she looked and she was like, weren't we... Flying through Detroit before? Oh, no. Are these different? Did they change our flights? I didn't even know they could do that. They changed <laughs> our flights. Maybe they don't have to ask because maybe they canceled the flights. I'm not complaining about an industry, you know, doing whatever it's going to do. They didn't even say anything. That's so weird. Like, if we hadn't looked, we would have got to the airport and been like, yeah, we're flying to Detroit and then to Cincinnati. And they would have been like, no, we don't have those tickets. Uh, we have this other booking. Is that for you guys? Like, What? You just do that? You didn't say anything? And it's fine. It's only a little bit different on the times, but like not even an email. Did it change layovers or anything like that? It's about the same. I think the layover is maybe a little longer. The departure is like an hour earlier, which we live in the Bay. So that's always painful because it takes forever to get to the airport and in busy airports. But like it's about the same. But the airlines always do stuff like that. Yeah. I had way worse stories. Where you know, we got like stuck in Vegas once for just hours and got on and off multiple different planes, multiple different times before we got to leave. Oh, that's the worst. What an awful place to get stuck. But they told us, you have to get off the plane now. This one's broken. And we were like, well, that sucks. But thanks for the heads up. It's a bummer. It's not even really a bad thing that happened. I just, not even a text. <laughs> My favorite air travel story happened early January 2020. I was flying out of Boston and it was snowing, as often happens there, and it was really cold. And the de-icing truck froze. And they were like, we're trying to get this plane off the ground, but the truck that's supposed to de-ice the plane literally is frozen in place, and we can't move it because it won't move. It's too cold. So it took them a while to get the de-icing truck de-icer? So then they were like, we're going to bring in the truck that de-ices, indeed, the de-icer, and then that truck broke. <laughs> and then they were like, everybody go home. This is like four hours after the departure. <laughs> anyway, my lemon, as I have discussed on this podcast before, uh, I was semi-recently diagnosed with sleep apnea, and I am now the proud owner of a CPAP machine. Whoa. And oh my God, setting this fucking thing up. It's so irritating. And I'm like, am I just supposed to wear this for the rest of my life now? I guess. <laughs> Are you? 
I think so. I don't think it gets better. I don't know. You have to or you die in your sleep, right? Those right. are the choices. <laughs> well, that's the thing is they were like, I mean, mainly it seems to be to make me sleep better. And I don't have a severe form of sleep apnea, but I have something. And man, setting this thing up was just like, it had like five different booklets and then there's a mask and a, so there's a whole, all these parts. You got to put water in it. Mm, the water oh, ones man. are even worse. Oh man. It's, it's really quiet. I will say this. My dad used one of these and it was just like, rah, rah, rah. I don't know how he slept. <laughs> this one is like quiet as a whisper. It ain't your daddy's CPAP machine. But uh, <laughs> the, it, 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 I, I'm like, am I using this thing right? I have no idea if I'm using this thing correctly. I guess it'll tell me because it does transmit data. This is the other thing I learned is you don't even hook up to Wi-Fi it, through cellular. It just transmits data. Oh, that's weird. Right? Does that mean you get to see your sleep stats? You're like Spotify unwrapped, but for your sleep breathing? Spotify unnapped. <laughs> A plus. Thank you. I love an appliance that has a communication service you can't turn off or control yeah. in any way that you don't even necessarily know exists unless you read the yep. fine print. They called to talk about the setup and I'm like, do I need to like hook it up to Wi-Fi? And they were like, no, no, it comes ready to like transmit all your data to somewhere without your permission. It's like, <laughs> well, all right, fuck me, I guess. You paid money, right? <laughs> I was like, consent to me. Yeah. Oh, man. Be super, super nice to your A-L-E-X-A. Yeah. <laughs> or else she's going to turn off your CPAP air. Yeah. <laughs> we were at a party a couple of weeks ago now, and there were a bunch of children gathered around in Alexa screaming, Alexa, play the fart song. <laughs> Alexa, play the farting dog song. Alexa, play Dr. Fart. And I was like, Dr. Fart? So sure enough, if you look up Dr. Fart, Dr. Fart is a person who- Does he have a PhD? Yeah, in fartology. <laughs> Anyway, there's a song called Dr. Fart, and there are various Dr. Fart things, which I found on Spotify. So Great. Well, I'm so glad that anybody who listened to this on a speaker with one of said terrible devices now yeah. has to hear it. So, <laughs> Well, watching a group of small children scream at Alexa to play fart songs was pretty awesome. We don't really have the smart speakers around because they've never worked well enough that they seemed worth it. But we had one for a little while, and it was an Amazon one, and it would just... Tell us giraffe facts from time to time. And, and not like a wrong answer. Like we were like, hey, what's the time? And it was like, did you know giraffe? It, we would be sitting in silence watching TV and the thing over on the counter behind us would just be like, Bloop. did you know giraffes can't swallow if they're laying down or what? Have a series of what the fuck? And I don't, and it didn't happen once. I'm pretty sure it happened multiple times. That's amazing. It wasn't the same TV show. I, it did. I don't know. Wow. I just thought we needed to know about giraffes, and Amazon was like, "Well, tell them." Hold on. That's what they need in this moment. So tell them, I guess. I'm gonna Google right now. Amazon Echo says. <laughs> this is a noted. This is not yeah, a bug. This is a feature. Giraffe facts. There is an A-L-E-X-A skill for giraffe facts. Oh, that's what I was looking at. Oh, yeah. no. Maybe that was it. But you have to, like, enable this, and it <laughs> only has one review that's three stars. <laughs> this is from Seymour. Five stars. All caps title. Winning bar none. This is amazeballs. I've never won anything, but thanks to this app, I've won my local bar trivia night three separate times. <laughs> <laughs> Where's this bar that's exclusively doing giraffe trivia? And is this guy <laughs> whipping his phone out? Well, you know what they serve. Long necks. Boom. 
All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to Late Night with Brian Wicks. <laughs> we got some peaches. We have to do our peaches. Yeah. I'll start. Peach number one. I had a lovely dinner with Brent Lilly, my manager, our friend, the other night. We have an annual tradition of getting together at some local LA steakhouse and enjoying a holiday meal together. And we didn't do it last year for very obvious reasons. We did it a few nights ago and it was amazing. You know, just like hanging out with a friend dinner. It's the best. Uh, peach number two. My favorite puzzle event of the year, the MIT Mystery Hunt, is coming up in January, and they have released a set, like a mini hunt, a one set of puzzles early, which I've been working on. So wow. I'm getting to do some really fun and very well-written MIT Mystery Hunt puzzles. So if you Google MIT Mystery Hunt, you can see it, and anyone can register. Although actually, by the time this airs, that registration deadline will be closed. But- Shit. You can probably still see the puzzle. And finally, I'm very grateful to, for the space heater that I have in this garage because <laughs> it's been like stupid cold for LA, which means it's been like in the low 60s, high 50s, which is not actual cold, but it's like LA freezing. And yeah. this garage gets fucking cold. And I turn on the space heater and I'm just, you know, a happy little daddy. So uh, I'm very excited to have this space heater in my life. And those are my peaches. I'm really pleased to hear that. I will do my peaches next because we actually share a peach, which is mm -hmm. space heater. <laughs> Hell yeah. But it's cold enough to use a space heater now. And I have a little tiny little yellow boy down there. And when mm -hmm. I turn it on, like, A, I love it, especially having had chills for the past 48 hours to the point of needing to wrap myself in several blankets. Great. Love it. But even better is my dog loves it. And I love to watch a dog not understand what a space heater is. Just know that it is warmer there. <laughs> yeah. Deeply sweet. My second peach is I've just been learning more stuff in Blender. And I started modeling like a fridge. And I've just been making a bunch of little foods to put in the fridge. And I made a really cool shader for some sushi. So like the shader for getting that marbled like fat in there was really fun to figure mm -hmm. out. Very mm -hmm. zen. I love it. 3D modeling is like one of the best things that I've started doing this year. It's great. And then my third peach is that on Sunday, I had a really lovely 8 a.m. diner breakfast with my friend Allison. We went to Astro Diner in Silver Lake and there was nobody there. Oh, and the, best. the older waitress who's always there was just like, super sweet. It was just a great time. And I love Allison very much. And diners, baby. I'll stop Hell talking yeah. about him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bob. Cool. Peaches. All right. My first peach, again, not very timely, but I just heard about this. I love it. I heard on a podcast or maybe an NPR report about a Michigan jeweler who was struggling during the pandemic and decided to cash in all of the valuables in his uh, store and buried a million dollars worth of good valuables or cash or things around a specific area of Michigan and created a real life treasure hunt <laughs> that people could sign up to enter. He selected a number of participants. They could bring like a partner. I believe the big one has already happened. There was like a huge cash oh. he buried somewhere and a series of like clues and things. Uh, that he was going to give in a map that had some hints on it and some, you know, cryptic imagery that might suggest. And it was just like a real life adult treasure hunt. And all the people who ended up going, they brought a friend who was like, you know, smart and crafty or outdoorsy, or one of them recruited a guy who's like a 
like a hobbyist treasure hunter. Mm-hmm. It's just this fun story of this guy who was like, our store is fucked. How do we make this fun? <laughs> <laughs> and it's worked out. Basically, people bought raffle tickets for a chance to be one of the participants in the big treasure hunt. And so he, he made some money off of it. I don't know the details of how it worked out, but I love the story. Yeah. Page number two. It's hard because they're not a good hockey team. <laughs> but I've just been really enjoying the San Jose Sharks this year. I've grown a really big passion for hockey over the last couple of years living in the Bay. The Sharks are a fun team. They have a select group of like really good players and a lot of guys who seem like they should be better than they are. It's one of those teams where they're not realistically going to make the playoffs. They might make a wild card slot or whatever. But I didn't realize how much I missed hockey until it started up a couple months ago. Is that an NHL? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, NHL but- pro... <laughs> Pro hockey. I don't know sports. I've never heard of them. I used to be a football guy. I sort of lost interest in sports for a while. And hockey has just been, we went to a game. We went to the home opener. It's just been fun to have something to be invested in. Because I feel like the long year of isolation, a year and a half of isolation, this is the first time I felt like, you know, I'm not going out to bars or anything to watch games, but there's people to talk to online. There's discourse. There's following statistics. It's really fun. It's been a fun thing to be invested in. So go Sharks. Please. (laughs) Please (laughs) stop. Stop losing. (laughs) My third peach would be that my wife and I got to go have a really special dinner, but it was at a restaurant in San Francisco. That's a two Michelin star. Oh, wow. Oh my God. I've never eaten at a, even at a one star restaurant, yeah, you know? It's, I think the restaurant was called Birdsong. We didn't belong there. Like, <laughs> I was wearing like sneakers and khakis, and I didn't fit in with all the other people that were there. Just, I love food. I love cooking. I've always watched cooking shows. It was so fascinating to see what happens in a place like that. Unlike regular food, I eat fast food, I eat whatever, local places, pub food. I like food, but I've never been to a place like that. It was so cool to see what's possible. Yeah. Eating there was more like listening to music. Something would look weird and taste completely different. And then, you know, it's inspirational in the way that music was, as opposed to food where it's like, that's a good taco. Good. <laughs> We're lucky we got to do that. And that was just such a cool experience. What was your favorite little food you got there? It was like a multi-course thing. And one of the courses was a... Cornish game hen. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That this dude laboriously lacquered. You could see him. The other thing is the kitchen. You sit at the kitchen, around the kitchen, and watch them do it. That rules. And one of the guys, his whole job is he has a bunch of these game hens hanging up, rotating them, taking them, and ladling the sauce over, and then hanging and letting that dry. Like, just the whole night, this dude is just, like, ladling, ladling. And they call it, it was lacquered Cornish game hen. But then it was deconstructed, where it was, like, it came with, almost like Korean barbecue. It came with all these little like sides, like Uh greens and pickled things came with these rolls where you could make it a sandwich, but also they gave you like the little wings as like a chicken wing. Mm -hmm. It was the whole Cornish game hen, but completely deconstructed into this fanciful thing where you could make it anything you wanted, but every combination that we tried turned out delicious watching them do the birds and then watching them, they smoked the rolls and they oh, smoked wow. them like on an open grill and just cool. sort of covered them. So you saw the whole thing. It was just fascinating and it was delicious. And like it was the most fanciful food I've ever eaten, <laughs> which I never thought I would describe food like that, but it really was. That sounds awesome, dude. Yeah, that's tight. Bob, thank you so much for taking this time to be with us here today. You're the best. It's just so much fun to talk to you. 
Thanks for having me. I'm honored you invited me. I never thought I would get to be a guest on anything. So <laughs> are you kidding? I, well, the thing is, I've been meaning to get in touch for like months to ask. And I just kind of, as you say, booking is hard. And it's always like, oh, fuck, I forgot to reach out to Bob this week. I'll do it next week. And so I'm glad you could be here with us because it really is a joy to talk to you. Yeah, this has been a delight. This was super fun. If people want to listen to your podcast or watch your streams and whatnot, where can they go to do so? Podcast is on all the podcast platforms. It's uh, Distractable is the title. And if you just search for that, it'll come up. I usually listen on Spotify, but it's it's on most of the big platforms. I stream on Facebook, fb.gg slash myskerm. It's Dutch. You'll never spell it. I'm not going <laughs> to spell it for you. Good luck. It's like a treasure hunt, but the reward is just me. <laughs> and we're not putting the link in the description. We won't do it. You have to figure it out. Yeah. Don't. I'm requesting you not Good. do that. Work for it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Wonderful. Folks at home, how are you doing? Sounds good. All right. Well, <laughs> hopefully you said something good and not something terrible. As always, hope you're flirty, fun, and fresh and that, you know, this holiday season you're coming a lot and staying safe. I think this is going to be our first episode of the new year. Oh, oh! now I have pressure. Wait, there, happy new year. Wait, <laughs> say happy new year to them. Happy new year. God bless us. <laughs> <laughs> happy new year. I hope this one's better. <laughs> Bye. Bye, everybody. Leighton Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Night, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com. 